market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. Any political party in this chamber that was confident in their arguments around independence would not be desperate to deny the people of Scotland the right to make that choice. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy. This is a special episode of the Scotsman's political podcast, which looks at the appointment of the new SNP leader, Humza Youssef. It is also available as a video, which you can watch on scotsman.com. We hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to a special Scotsman broadcast. Humza Yousaf is the new leader of the SNP and soon to be First Minister. Joining me to discuss this is the paper's political editor, Alza Grant, and the paper's deputy political editor, Connor Matchett. So, Alistair, you were in the room. Uh, what's happened for those who maybe somehow have missed it if they were living under a rock? Yeah, I mean, Connor was in the room as well. We were both there at Murrayfield Stadium uh, in Edinburgh, where obviously this announcement was made. I think it was actually quite tense. I don't know how you found it, found it Connor, but just that moment when the you could see the candidates were about to come into the room, their families had taken their seats, um, and we just you just knew that it was moments away. And obviously, it's been quite a short campaign, but it's been incredibly intense. It's been very divisive. It's been brutal at times. We've had uh, brutal exchanges during television debates, uh, particularly Kate Forbes laying into Hamza Youssef, um, basically implying that he was rubbish at every job in government he'd ever, he'd ever done. Uh, we had a big row over membership numbers, which ultimately resulted in Peter Murrell, the chief executive, the long-standing chief executive of the SNP, and of course, Nicola Sturgeon's husband, resigning. So it's been quite a dramatic campaign, and this is obviously the, the end of it. And uh, Hamza Yusuf uh, emerged triumphant, but it, it's got to be said that it was quite a close race. Um, so literally one-second preferences were redistributed using the, the kind of a single transferable vote model that the SNP uses for these leadership contests. Um, there's literally only a couple of thousand votes between him and Kate Forbes. So I think that shows that this is still a divided party. They obviously stood for very different things. Hamza Yusuf was the continuity candidate. He was the one who was kind of seen as closest to advancing Nicola Sturgeon's legacy. Um, Kate Forbes, more of a candidate for change. Basically, one of her key messages was that continuity won't cut it. Um, she's also seen as more to the right economically than Nicola Sturgeon and Hamza Youssef, although she would deny the fact, uh, if you put it to her that she would drag the party to the right, she would deny that. Also has socially conservative views. This became a, a major problem for her at the beginning of her campaign. She's a, a person of kind of deep religious faith and a kind of member of the socially conservative Free Church of Scotland. And there's a row at the start of the campaign after she told uh, first the Scotsman actually that she would have voted against gay marriage. So. The culmination of uh, an intense campaign, as I say, um, and it was quite a, a kind of tense moment in the room. But I think you could see from Hamza Yusuf's speech that one of his key messages going forward now is the kind of, I think the words he used was reach across the divide, this attempt to bring the party back together back together under a new leader. Uh, there's obviously loads of other things in his entry which we can come on to, but I think that will be one of his key tasks. You've obviously, I think once a party has opened up these divisions and once they've started talking about them, but something's quite hard to put the cat back in the bag. I think that may be something they 
struggle with going forward. I think what was interesting is, and is notable is that um, there were a lot of MSPs in the room yesterday and a handful of MPs as well. Um, and it's really important to remember that Humza Yusuf had the vast majority of parliamentarian backing and endorsements during that campaign. Um, I, I genuinely think that the overwhelming emotion from the vast majority of MSPs in that room was relief, knowing that they had thrown their their weight behind the continuity candidate, you know, the 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 Sturgeonite in 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 the room, and that you know, I, we I wrote an analysis piece yesterday, which was always going to de- be dependent on who won. It became far far less exciting um, as soon as Kate Forbes lost, and I think there was a relief that the party didn't have to go through yet more division, probably, you know, uh, scrapping the deal with the Greens, the Butte House Agreement, potentially seeing MSPs not vote for Kate Forbes to become First Minister today in Parliament later on. Um, And I think the vast majority of parliamentarians were there just went... So you mentioned uh, Connor's exclusive uh, where she spoke out about gay marriage, uh, Alistair. Is this the contest that Hamza won because I know that at least in Westminster, he was previously considered a bit of a joke, or was it a race that maybe Miss Forbes lost quite early on? I mean, I remember one of her being briefed that her campaign team had said that she had messed it up, we'll say, uh, the words that we can use in a live broadcast. I think it's probably a bit of both. So I think there is a kind of alternative ver- version of this contest in which that row, it, it would always have been a problem for her. And I think she anticipated that and she attempted to come out and be kind of direct and honest about it. Um, and I think there is a way she could have done that. And I think she would reflect this herself. There's a way she could have done that that would have approached it better. I don't think she handled it well. And I think she was taken aback by the scale of the backlash about it. I think she was completely wrong-footed by it. And there was a couple of days at the beginning of the campaign where it almost seemed touch and go as to whether or not she'd stay in the contest. But I think to be fair to her, she has made of stronger stuff and she did stay in and kind of weather that storm um, I think there were obviously a number of people who were being floated as potential candidates at the start of this contest who pulled out, people like John Swinney, even though to some extent, and no offence to John Swinney, he is yesterday's man. He's someone who's kind of held this role before. Um, but I think if he had run in the contest, it probably would have been in the bag for him. Um, there's other figures uh, that were seen as close to Sturgeon as well that were floated. And ultimately, they obviously didn't run. And Hamza Yusuf became that continuity candidate. Um, I mean, he is someone that enjoyed the establishment support in the party. As Connor said, he had the support of um, cabinet secretaries, he had the support of ministers, he had the support of John Swinney, uh, deputy first minister, pretty much as high as it gets since Nicola Sturgeon wasn't kind of outwardly saying who she was voting for. So I think that there is a combination of the two. And I think Kate Forbes, to be fair to her, did manage to uh, come back from that initial storm about her socially conservative religious views. She did manage to kind of move on from that a bit, but I think undoubtedly it did do some amount of damage. I think probably one of the things that damaged her as well was that the scale of that attack on Hamza Yusuf in that first TV debate, that STV debate on March 7th, and just the, the kind of implication when she basically implied that the the government under Nicola Sturgeon, the government that she was part of as, as finance secretary, was mediocre. I don't think... SNP members, maybe as a whole, would have taken well to someone kind of dissing the government like that. But I think, as I say, it's a combination of the two is probably how I'd answer that. So obviously she was quite very critical, especially during debates. Uh, I think it was called him incompetent and spoke of his record. 
Connor, what's this mean going forward? Are we going to see, would you expect to see Kate Forbes in a cabinet with Hamza when everything she said, at least from what I'm told, is going to be on Labour and Tory leaflets for, well, however long he's in power? I think it's uh, highly likely that Hamza will will offer um, Kate Forbes a, a cabinet position of some sort. Most likely, you know, I, I, I would assume he will want to keep her in finance, a job that she she did very well um, prior to her maternity leave. It would make sense for him to offer her that job, if not only, if not for stability, stability but also unity, um, and to to be seen to be reaching out across the divide. I think it's really notable and really important to state that, you know, the SNP membership yesterday voted on a majority for change on first preferences. Um, you know, Hamza Yusuf ended with 48% of first preference votes and only uh, 52% of that were, um, were were for change prior to the second preferences. So he's got, he, he has to reach out, particularly to Kate Forbes. I don't think Ash Reagan will be getting a phone call uh, today or tomorrow to to be entering cabinet. And I think the fundamental reason for that is due to the fact that she would have to resign instantaneously over the plans to challenge the Section 35 order from Westminster over gender recognition. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what decision Ms Forbes makes. She may very well turn down a cabinet role. Um, she's enjoying being a mum and she might well want to have more time with her family um, and return to the back benches. Um, and, you know, she, she, I think she said, correct me if I'm wrong here, Alistair, but I think she said that she, she may not even run uh, or sit as an MSP beyond 2026. Um, so that it, it's that um, future for her is potentially on the back benches, potentially sticking around at, at finance. Perhaps we can have a cabinet readiness thermometer. Um, so going forward, what are the what's the mood within the SNP? Because we talked about these divisions and just how really surprisingly ugly it's got for a party that's normally so disciplined, so well whipped. I mean, especially in Westminster, very rarely will anyone stick their head on the parapet, say anything critical, um, which is why Stephen Flynn was such an extraordinary thing to happen. Are the party just is it just relief? Is it going to come back together or are those divisions now? Do you think they're going to fester and grow, uh, Alistair? I think, I mean, like Connor said earlier, I think there was a sense of relief from some of those parliamentarians who had backed Hamza Yusuf. Um, I mean, Connor can maybe go into a bit more detail about the, the mood in the room because he was kind of going around speaking to people as part of a analysis piece while I was trying to hammer on the, the online copy. Uh, but I think in general, I think I think there are going to be problems for Hamza Yusuf. Kate Forbes attracted, you know, almost close to 50% of the support among those SNP members that that voted in this contest. So there are clearly divisions in the party, like Connor says, there is that appetite for change. He's going to have to accommodate that. Um, you've got people, outspoken uh, SNP parliamentarians, people that we're, we're all very aware of, like Joanna Cherry, who will continue to put their points across uh, in this regard. I think it, that is going to be the main challenge. I mean, it's obviously, it's quite easy to say that you will reach across the divide as the new party leader and first minister. It's much harder to put that into practice. It involves a degree of political skill. It involves having a kind of open, inclusive uh, running of the party. Um, it'll probably require a degree of, to use Nicola Sturgeon's phrase when she resigned and started this whole thing, uh, a degree of tough love. He's going to have to make some difficult decisions. There's going to be some decisions that maybe wouldn't have been his first choice, but are the best things to do when it comes to party unity. 
Um, and one of the things that complicates that, of course, is the cooperation agreement with the Greens. Um, so I think it's a tricky atmosphere in the party. And I think putting it all, putting all the, the country's needs aside for one second, obviously they're much more important, but the, the new SNP leader, Hamza Youssef, is going, to have, is going to have a lot on his plate just moving forward when it comes to his own party. So what is there in that entry that we're talking about? I mean, going forward, you can... Boris Johnson had a lot of detractors in the Tory party. This is well before Partygate, who maybe didn't like him or support him, but he was a winner. So they and maybe they're so they were willing to just go forward and back the policy. Is there going to be policy that will bring people together? What are the big issues facing uh, the new leader, Connor? Well, I think the big one that is going to be absolutely key to his Hamza Yusuf's ongoing success as first minister is a health and b who he gives the health secretary role to he will need to give that job to someone who is trustworthy who is competent and who can in, in you know change things in in terms of the 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 downward uh slope that the the health service is on in in Scotland that, that's not to say that there aren't challenges across the UK of course there are but you know that is he he Humza's reputation as someone who struggles um, to to do public service delivery really crystallised. I think when when he was in the health role, um, particularly with struggling A and E time. So that that for me is the big one. Who he picks for that job is absolutely critical to whether or not he lasts as first minister for two years or for five years or for ten years. And I think it'll be interesting to see who among the SNP talent is um, is going to be chosen. The other one, obviously, is the cost of living crisis. I think that's very high up on the list. Um, I think he mentioned it in his speech yesterday as being as being his top priority. Um, again, it's going to be difficult for any first minister, regardless of it being uh, Hamza Youssef or Kate Forbes or Nicola Sturgeon, to make a real dent into a problem that is fundamentally a global one and also, you know, requires levers that the the Scottish government simply doesn't have. Um, and then the third one is independence. Now, the will, I think Hamza Yusuf has committed to appointing an independence minister, which the only way to put, to describe that is as red meat for the people who voted for Kate Forbes and for Ash Reagan, who are ur- urging speed around independence. Um, I'm not sure how wise that is, um, particularly given that he wants to reach across the divide. Um, he, he, he wants to talk about, I think he, he quoted John Smith yesterday, gives you an indication of who, which sort of voters that he's looking to, to speak to, which is Labour voters. Um, and I'm not sure appointing an independence minister will do much to heal those divides or see people who might be voting for Keir Starmer and Asawa in the next couple of elections um, change their mind and move across to, to the SNP. It is fundamentally the case that he has probably the toughest intray of any first minister since the dawn of devolution. I can't think of a more difficult situation um, and scenario for uh, for any other first minister. He's certainly become first minister on hard mode. <laughs> I, just, I like to explain things in video game terms. That does make it easier for me to <laughs> <laughs> for me to understand, um, which is why Boris Johnson said level up. I completely got what that meant. Uh, so you, you mentioned independence and this rush to go for it. And I think that was maybe one of the issues down in Westminster, um, perhaps in Blackford, is that some MPs felt that maybe what are we doing? We're just kind of waiting and going for this de facto referendum idea, which now seems to be 
dead in the water and not happening. Do we have any sense of what his independence plan is? Because initially I felt like we heard how he was saying it's not about how we'd achieve independence. It's about what we're going to do with it. And then he got outflanked by Ash Reagan and Kay Forbes and suddenly had to say, but I do want it immediately and I will get it sorted. Don't worry. Is there any way for that to happen, Alistair? Is there a plan? Uh, I mean, the short answer to that is no, not really. I mean, they've kind of been saying different things in this campaign. So I think if you actually listened to what the main message from Kate, both Kate Forbes and Hamza Yusuf, they were quite similar on this. There was a focus on growing support and you know getting support for independence well over that 50% mark and an acceptance that that is the only way really to remove the hurdles that stand in the way of another independence referendum. And I think that that really is essentially their main message. There's lots of other noise, especially during the party hustings about, yeah, we can get independence in five years. Uh, I think Hamza Youssef was saying yesterday that he's already going to ask the UK government for um, uh, a Section 30 order right away. Um, I mean, all that stuff is, is, is like you say, it's red meat to SNP members. You're talking about independence. You're, you, you're giving the perception or trying to give the perception at least that you're pushing things forward. Um, but essentially, his tactic is to grow support for independence. And he thinks that will remove the hurdles and the UK government will no longer be able to kind of stand in the way of things. But it's, if you actually think that through, it's an acceptance that this is going to take a while or could well take a while. So I think the stuff about independence within five years, or it's just uh, it's just rhetoric. Fundamentally, there there isn't a route uh, for, for for the SNP to to get it um, anytime soon, and the, there's no way that Keir Starmer is gonna is gonna is gonna change the minds of anything. I think it's interesting to bear in mind that we had a, a an intervention from Ben McPherson, who's a, a junior minister at the minute. Potentially, will get a promotion to a cabinet secretary job as the cabinet is is put together. His statement to us in a, in a very good comment piece that he wrote for, for, for the Scotland on Sunday was effectively that the SNP needed to turn to kind of a, to a gradualist approach to independence and a real, and actually engage with the fact that it isn't very far away. Uh, sorry, it is very far away and that they should work really closely with, with Labour once Labour in, are in power down in Westminster and engage in a new constitutional settlement for for Scotland, it'll be very interesting to see whether or not Hamza Youssef, as First Minister, rather than on the campaign to be SNP leader, kind of engages with that gradualist approach. I think the, the, the thing to remember about the SNP is it's always been a battle between gradualists and fundamentalists when it comes to independence. Half of the party wants independence yesterday. The other half of the party is willing to do whatever it takes and however long it takes to get independence in the long run. That latter side of the party won yesterday, um, but it'll be interesting to see whether or not Hamza Youssef continues the Sturgeon policy of false promises to the fundamentalist side just to keep them on, on, on board. I think the gradualist view is one that's shared by most MPs in Westminster uh, on the SNP side. When I speak to them broadly, it's we want independence, but de facto referendum isn't realistic. I'm not in a rush. We like I have, I've had more than one say to me, we don't want any referendum until 60% which I know seems like quite a high number, but they've already lost, right? It's, it's, there's no point picking a fight until you're ready to win it. It just seems like that's maybe going to be the growing view among the SNP. And I don't, I'd be interested to know if that's the view held with MSPs as well. Is, is that more common that it's wait until we're ready 
And is it a constant battle between the, the realism of the MSPs and then what the membership expects? Because I suppose the messaging then makes it difficult when you say, we're going to ask for a Section 30 order, you know, tomorrow, when realistically, I don't think anyone in the SNP expects, other than perhaps Miss Regan, that there will be independence in the next year. I think it's well, I mean, it ties into one of the main problems with politics that a lot of the rhetoric, what you say publicly, is a, an inflated version of what is actually being said behind the scenes, or there's, you know, there's yeah. a difference between the public message and what people are willing to say uh, you know, off the record. So, yeah, I think there is an acceptance that independence is not going to be happening, particularly in that five-year time frame. It's, it's a project that they have to work on. It will require a kind of change in the polls. We've had the polls kind of stuck, you know, give or take a few outliers at the same level since roughly 2014. There has to be something to change that. And I think they were hoping that Brexit would do that. They were hoping that Boris Johnson would do that. That didn't happen. Or if it did happen, it was a short-term impact. So there really needs to be something to change the dial. And I think, to be honest, I think they are right to focus on that growing support. I think that probably is the only way forward. I think these kind of wheezes or gimmicks like the de facto referendum were only ever really going to cause them problems um, or at least set up expectations that they can't really fulfill. But it's a, it's a hard message to sell. It's not an easy message to sell, particularly when people are impatient. So moving away from the SNP, as, as fun as, as they are, I think we should talk about the opposition view to yesterday. I mean, I spoke to several MPs who were, and I think this has been the case even just during the contest, who were hoping that Hamza would win. I think they basically thought he's got a, they would argue he's got a terrible record uh, in health and in transport. And Kate Forbes, while she may not be so popular with the party, I think all the polls have shown it's more popular um, in the country of Scotland and would therefore be considered perhaps more electable. Um, what's your sense of how Labour are feeling about it, Connor, um, or even the Scottish Tories? Well, I, I spoke to a senior uh, Scottish Conservative yesterday um, about their thoughts and, and the fundamental fact of the matter is that, they, as you say, they have been praying for a Hamza Yusuf win from, from pretty much day one of this campaign. They view him as a lightweight, as uh, someone who has... Uh, open wounds that they can rub salt in at FMQs. They don't view him as a particularly good parliamentary performer. Um, and, you know, the, the the response to how do you feel was very happy. We're going to use Ashen Kate's words against him for the whole time that he he's in charge. So I think from a Scottish Conservative point of view, they'll be very happy. I, I, I think Scottish Labour share a lot of those views. They've been talking about uh, certainly Jackie Bailey and the party have been demanding Humza Yusuf's resignation from as health secretary for the last, I don't know, it feels like nine years, um, but it ha has, I think, only been for about six months. Um, so they'll, they'll be delighted <laughs> as well. And I think, uh, I think the one thing that both parties are potentially underestimating is that often a first minister is made by the people around them rather than necessarily their own personal abilities. I think if Hamza Yusuf appoints the right people, gets a good team together, particularly on key public service delivery roles, and be as a cabinet begins to improve uh, performance indicators, he will, in the eyes of the public, probably quite soon look competent. And that word will no longer be a dirty one in Butte House. Whether or not he can do that and whether or not he will just suffer from 
the attacks that he's been suffering from for the last five weeks. It, only time will tell. But I definitely think, you know, the the, the opposition are cook a hoop about who's won. They viewed Kate Forbes fundamentally as a risk, someone who could potentially convince no voters to vote for the SNP, someone who's pro-business, um, could reset the relationship between business and the SNP. And they were very concerned that that she could make an impact on on those votes. I don't know how likely that is. I think fundamentally, Scotland votes along constitutional lines. Um, I'm not convinced Kate Falls would have done much to impact that fact. What I find interesting is that Hans Youssef is now, you know, there's this great relief in the party and many in the SNP. They're so pleased that he has won and were worried about what might happen. Yet, even a year ago, or do you remember that scooter video? Do you remember when he was injured and he was going along and the scooter and fell over? MPs in Westminster find him, many of them, in the, these are SNPs, specifically SNP MPs, find him so laughable. Videos of that, um, him falling over, with music edited over it, were doing the rounds in all the SNP WhatsApp groups here. MPs were sharing it. MPs sent me that video with music over it. So I'm fascinated that he's now this, <laughs> the great hope that they're all, um, they're all rallying behind. Just to touch on that, I think one of his problems is, I mean, if you remember that video, do you remember how he reacted to it? Um, and didn't take it well at all, initially, at least on Twitter. Yeah, and I think one of his problems is that he does have a perception that he is uh, thin-skinned, that he doesn't take criticism well, uh, and that's not a good thing for a first minister. So it's something that he's going to have to work on. I mean, it's, it is just a perception. So as Connor says, you can turn these things around, but yeah, he, he, he will not want to be seen as someone who can't take criticism on the chin. Well, we've seen a lot of criticism during the campaign, so I think it's now probably time to finish with our favourite moments. I think mine's probably the readiness thermometer, just because every time I just think of it quite often now. I'm just doing something, I'm making a cup of tea or cereal, and I just imagine a big thermometer on a building walking past it, even just from outside. It's very exciting. Uh, Does anyone else have any particular favourite moments from the campaign? The readiness thermometer is up there. I particularly enjoyed that she specified that it could be in Glasgow or Edinburgh, and it would be outside. And it would also have a dial on it that moves. It was uh, a <laughs> when I saw it, when I watched that hustings, I honestly thought I'd misheard that. I had to go back and listen mm. to the recording. There's definitely it's not a, not a favourite moment. It's a it's a low light. I think one of the defining moments of this campaign is that row over the SNP membership figures. The fact that uh, the Sunday Mail actually reported that the party had lost thirty thousand members. Um, the party not only denied this, but went on and essentially ridiculed the newspaper's reports on Twitter. I think Murray Foote, the the then head of comms for the party in Holyrood, uh, called it drivel on Twitter. And it turns out, you know, when they were forced to release membership figures after calls from all three of the candidates, it turns out that, oh, what a surprise, they'd lost 30,000 members. So I think that's, it's a real indictment of the way SNP HQ was acting over that and the kind of issues with transparency that they have. Um, and I think they, they will have to work to regain trust to some extent with journalists after that. I think my, my favourite moment uh, is probably going to Ash Reagan's campaign launch in Edinburgh, sorry, in North Queensferry, a beautiful day overlooking uh, the, the the three bridges over the over the fourth. Um, and uh, Miss Reagan having one uh, MP supporter um, and then announcing her main independence policy of a voter empowerment mechanism, um, which I was, you guys sit there listening to, you think, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then for some reason, uh, one that I still cannot comprehend, shortened it to the them. 
which <laughs> I don't know. She she just she, I think for for someone who had absolutely no hope from day one, uh, Ash Reagan provided uh, us with some of the finest moments of the campaign um, and demonstrated that yes, you can become a senior member of, in in the SNP and even a minister while potentially not being that impressive a politician. I think to give to give Ash Reagan some credit um, during this campaign, <laughs> I think she. Well, I mean this seriously. I think you know her calls for transparency, her calls for the membership figures, the open letter that she penned with Kate Forbes, um, were instrumental. Well, maybe not instrumental, but they, they played a role in getting those figures released and putting pressure on the party. Um, so, yeah, she can, she should take that as a good thing that happened during this campaign. It's also worth remembering: come April, uh, she will be the only leadership contender to still have a blue tick on Twitter because she is the only contender who pays for Twitter blue. So that that's very much something. Uh, right. Well, thank you both so much for your time. Um, thank you for joining us uh, at home. Uh, stay tuned to thescotsman.com for all this sort of analysis and the written words uh, and in print as well. Until next time, thank you so much for watching.